Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. I think some of you are forgetting that lately. Today is August 10th, 2016. It is a Wednesday. Surprise! And this is episode 175. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my nine for the past 82 at-bats, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. We occasionally post a blog, although our lives oftentimes get in the way. Check us out on other third-party sites such as BaltimoreSportsReport.com and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Um, also, if you're on third-party platforms such as Google Play Music or iTunes, please give us a rating or review. Those have dried up a little bit lately, just like the Orioles offense. So please, spur it on because something's got to basically give. You know, uh, One review could lead the Orioles offense into the promised land. So do your civic duty and help out the Baltimore Orioles and, and us in the process. You also just said duty. Duty. Social media, Facebook, Google+. Jake's been doing some periscoping and Snapchatting and Instagramming, which I have no clue what it is. But um, I am basically a 13-year-old girl. Uh, my wife actually taught me how to Snapchat this weekend. Um, I was not impressed. Um, you can also check us out on Twitter, which is pretty much what all I can understand, um, and 140 characters or less on uh, Bird's Eye View B-A-L. And with that, let's figure out what we are drinking this week in Drink of the Week. Scott, I have a cornucopia of culinary delights here in front of me. I have the last beer of several six-packs laid out uh, this evening. So just in no particular order, I have a Troganator from Trogues. I have Loose Cannon provided by yourself, by the way. Thank you very much. I have a Heineken. Oops. Uh, and right now I'm drinking a, a RAR uh, India Pale Ale, the Nanticoke Nectar. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going a little bit more simplistic. I'm going with a Dogfish Head 90-minute IPA, courtesy of yourself as well from the last time I saw you. Um, so appreciate it. Looks like we're exchanging beer gifts between each other. Yeah. We, listeners of the show must really think that we're a couple. I thought our, it was... Our I, wives must think that we're couples. They know point. we're a couple, but that's <laughs> that's beyond the point. Um, do you want to go ahead and dive into who's hurting, who's aching, and who needs some Bengay rubbed on them? Absolutely. All right, let's go into the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heart and fix you up, ready to go. Wait for the giggle. There's the giggle. All right, Jake, tell us who is in the medical wing this week. Who's hurting? Well, if you're talking about who's hurting, first, it's my heart. Oh. My heart is hurting. Your achy, breaky heart? No, oh, wait, no. we, we did that last this time. Is, this is different stuff. Okay. My heart is aching because the injury I want to talk about this week is Steve Pierce. And Steve Pierce is having trouble with his arm, but it's not just his arm. Scott, it's not a, a rotator cuff. It's not an elbow problem. He's not having tendinitis. 
This was originally reported as a flexor mass strain. Oh, I know that condition from somewhere else. That doesn't sound good. Um, where have I heard that before? Oh, pick a disappointing Orioles pitching prospect. That's where you've heard oh, it. Oh, Hunter Harvey. Hello. Now, I will say that he's not going directly to the platelet-rich uh, plasma injection, so there is hope. He's ve- Steve Pierce is very hopeful that he'll miss the DL because he got a cortisone injection, which apparently had uh, unicorn blood in it. But uh, that's definitely concerning. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, is that he heard it throwing in the field. I wonder if he was uh, a, had a full bill of health when he got traded over. The Orioles clearly are thorough about their medicals, so if there was something there, they would have known about it. Bring me Jonah Heim back immediately. <laughs> you know, Steve Pierce is not the only one in the medical wing this week. Mm, who else? So significant. Well, let's see. We've got uh, Joey Rickards still out with his thumb. Well, we already knew that. What else? All right. We've got uh, T.J. McFarlane, who's now going to rehab uh, appearances. Yeah, not interested. Move on. He, he throws the ball with his left hand. Don't care. Okay. Uh, also got a guy named Brian Dunsing, who's uh, on the 68 DL with um, sucking. I mean, uh, elbow infl- uh, inflammation. Okay. He, from sitting on it in the bullpen. Again, not interested whatsoever. So really the only significant injury is steepers. And my heart. Okay. Well, with that, why don't we go to 140 characters or less? this week on the Twitters. Do you want to start off, Jake? Absolutely. First tweet I want to hit is from uh, Rockabaka, who, of course, tweets at Mass and Rock. 1,403 hits for Jones with hashtag Orioles, comma, tied with Al Bumbry for 10, 10th place. This is important, Scott Magnus, because OCAP10, my cap 10, is marking his place in Orioles record books. And I think when all is said and done with his career here in Baltimore, he's going to be a, a team leader you know, top 10, top five in a lot of categories. Adam Jones is a player who can be frustrating to watch in the in the microcosm. But when we look back at this career and the time that he spent for the birds, it's going to be really impressive what he's put together here. Absolutely. Jake, I think this next tweet tugs at both of our hearts. So I'm going to take this one. This comes from the Norfolk Tides at Norfolk Tides. And their social media director there is doing a great job um, they put a stat line in here of Tyler Wilson winning the game. I'm um, going two and zero now in, in Norfolk, um, and the hold uh, for the Norfolk Tides went to Phillips, uh, which was his fourth hold. So of course the Norfolk respond, Tides responded as, "This is how you hold on for the win." I like this. Yeah. <laughs> I like this a lot. Do, do, of course, my first thought was, do, 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 do. was Derek Arnold. Yeah. That was my first thought was Derek Arnold. <laughs> All right, next tweet comes to us from OBP Apparel. Who, I think I just sang. Yeah, I know. I wasn't going to. I was going to let that go. Okay. OBP Apparel, who tweets at OBP Apparel. And they used to have a podcast here in Birdland. Give them some crap about it. We, we miss you on the air, boys. They tweet, for that NBA talk. <laughs> they tweet as follows. As always, comma, it's a treat to hear at real Ben McDonald calling O's games on the radio. Wish he'd take the gig full time. Amen. Yep. From your lips to God's ears. Next tweet goes into, and then they're back on the diet. This tweet comes from Utah Street Report. You follow him at Utah Street Report. Oh, hey, hashtag Taco Bell lineup. Welcome back. Yeah. Except just like Taco Bell, the runs all come out at once and then you're dry for a few days. All right. I had a thought. When yeah. this happened. All right. So the Orioles exploded for 10 runs. Yeah. Right. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Do you remember last August in 2015 when the Orioles were failing to score and things were really awful? And then they had that game where they exploded for 15 runs. They won 15 to 2 against the Red Sox. Yep. I'm really hoping that that game was not 
the 15 to 2 Red Sox game. Kind of feels like it right now. It really does. It really does. All right, our next tweet comes from Orioles Uncensored. You can follow them at O's Uncensored, another great Orioles podcast. We recommend it. Michael Phelps is going to melt his gold medals together and make a giant Flava Flav sized medal. I love this. Yeah, I like it. Not bad. All right. Um, so the Olympics are going on right now. Um, and I, I guess we should go talk to someone that knows something about the Olympics, even though this is a baseball podcast. That is an option. Pete Gilbert covers sports for WBAL, covering the Orioles, Ravens, Terps, and, well, any sports story that matters to you and me here in Baltimore and across the globe. Pete is also foolish enough to be counted among the friends of the program and returns to join us again here at Bird's Eye View. Pete, how are you this evening? If that's being wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> All right, we'll take I'm that as an answer. Guy. Absolutely. We'll, we'll take that. All right, before we get to anything, we we need to cover the important topics, and that is as follows. Uh, Pete Gilbert, you're on the clock. What is your drink of the week? Uh, my drink of the week, if I was going to go out right now and get one, uh, it would be the Flying Dog Agave Lime Cerveza. Nice. That is an excellent choice. A real yeah. local beer. How about that? It's one I had down uh, while on vacation this summer, and it was part of a sampler pack. I went back and then found a case of it because I'm like, yeah, we're doing this again tonight. Uh, just, just delicious. Yeah, and, Great and summer beer and available at the ballpark, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Check the press box. They don't, you know, they don't really offer that. <laughs> well, if you if you <laughs> wander upstairs with the grate unwashed, uh, right over top of Home Plate Plaza on the third deck, there's uh, there's craft beer back there, including Flying Dog. Fantastic. <laughs> pro, pro tip. All right. So before we dive into the Orioles, I have a couple of questions about sports at large, if you will. And first, I want to talk about mm -hmm. the Olympics. The Rio Olympics are in full swing right now, uh, and Maryland is pretty well represented. First, are, are you a fan of the Summer Olympics? And and if so, love. Okay. So, do you prefer the summer over right. the winter? Yeah, I don't. I guess um, because there seems to be more. There's more events. There's more athletes. There's more to it. But I love. I'm, but I just love the idea of the Olympics. I hate everything that surrounds it. The IOC is incorrigible. Uh, there, there, there are more corruption stories in regards to what happens every four years that just make you want to vomit. But the idea that still exists, as it did 50, 60 years ago, that you can devote your life for four years to get ready for one moment to see if indeed you can be counted among the best in the world, it's just so noble. It's so grand. It's such a, it's just, embodies everything you would want what you would want and I, I love that and i've had the privilege to do some olympic previews and so to meet some olympians and talk and i was asking you know, what is it that what separates you and just it's just again and again it's the desire to work it's the desire to go through the grind and embrace that what we all tend to turn away from in our lives we, you know, we our lives are so much about trying to make things easier they strive to make them as hard as possible so that when they when it is as hard as it can be facing the best in the world they can succeed it really does appear that in sports and in life many of them just have a gear that the rest of us lack uh, as far as oh drive. god yeah now and then you talk paralympians yeah I, I had a chance to talk with brad snyder who is a naval academy graduate was a navy uh lieutenant in the navy was in afghanistan and uh was 
stepped on an IED and is blinded. And he was a swimmer beforehand. And one year to the day from the, he stepped on the IED, he competed in the 2012 Paralympics and won gold. And a few weeks ago, I, I went, he has now made Baltimore his home from Florida, but has made Baltimore his home in Canton. And, and he loves the Orioles and has embraced Baltimore like nobody else. But here's a man who has learned how to live with being blind and just viewing it as a challenge. And the story that, the story that he shared that just so struck me was about the idea that when he, when he dreams, he can see, and then he wakes up, and he's blind again, and he gets sad. But then he was talking about that with his mom, and she's like, you're looking at it wrong. It means when you get to go to sleep and dream, you can see again. And he said, it's just all about perspective. And if you can't, if you can't worry, put some of your first world problems behind you on a day-to-day basis when you realize what he's going through and how he can approach something, then you've got a problem. And here's the thing I love about the Paralympics, the way it's been uh, marketed in the last few years really seems like it is less of a, uh, a novelty, less of a sideshow. And, and it really does, um, it really does showcase these athletes for what they are to be incredibly uh, impressive athletes. Right, to be great athletes. And his times are almost equivalent now. After four years of training and Under Armour has gotten on board with Brad and really he has trained like he's never trained before. He almost swims as well as he did before he could, um, couldn't see. And you think about it, the idea for him, it's like, how do you stay straight? Cause that's what blind swimming is about. Who can be the straightest, you know, along with being fast. If you're going back and forth, you're, you're really fast, but if you're weaving back and forth across the lane, it doesn't matter. And so, you know, honing that in and the, the techniques involved to, to gently adjust your position in the water, not to overcorrect, to just correct properly is just, you know, to, 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 perfect that is such a it's such a task and that's where he is and just i just i just was humbled to 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 meet him and talk with him and and get a little bit of a different view i tell you what the only problem that i have with the summer olympics is that there's no curling uh if they could play that all year round it would would really work i had a i had a roommate from wisconsin once who talked about that was what they did saturday night they went out and had beers and curled (laughs) um i'm like wow you know what maybe we should go to wisconsin all right what else are you gonna do right uh, let me uh, let me swing back into baseball. A big week for baseball. We just watched Ichiro Suzuki hit a stand-up triple for his 3,000th hit. Uh, his career has been, I, I think, incredibly fun to watch. And uh, I just ask you, are, are we are we seeing a second Mariner who's headed for Cooperstown? Oh, he's definitely on his going going to the hall. And he and he sh- and in my mind, he's the best hitter ever. I think he's better than Pete Rose. Uh, here's a guy who could have hit for a lot more power if he chose to. And he, here he is at 42 years of age, hitting 317. Uh, just an absolutely remarkable athlete. Hand-eye coordination beyond the, the, maybe the greatest ever. And I just go back, I always think, when I think of Ichiro, I think of Rob Dibble at the time doing radio with Dan Patrick saying, if he hit 300, I'll run around Times Square naked. Well, he had to do it in his skippies anyway. <laughs> yeah, the other thing is that in, in a time where the stars of baseball have so many characters that maybe you don't so much love, uh, it, it seems like Ichiro is you know pretty a pretty easy uh, guy to root for. Yeah, he's eccentric. You know, I mean, it, it was fun listening to you know Mark Trumbo uh, talking about it, George Sherrill talking about it, guys that you know we know a little bit that it, it, you know worked with him and. Just, I mean, he's a guy who dressed crazy and was so particular about things. But in the same token, not 
not a jerk about it, not an ass about being, you know, eccentric. He was still inclusive, but he was going to do things his way and he was doing it differently. And you know what? If you're going to be that great. Yeah. You can go ahead and do that. That's a perfect segue. I appreciate you bringing up baseball players acting like asses. Let's talk about the New York Yankees. Um, the Yankees are turning a page in a big way. Uh, the Sharon A-Rod are clearly part of the team's past now, announcing their their prospective uh, retirements. Everyone assumes that with money coming off the books in a few years, combined with a strong farm system, this means that the Yankees are just another dynasty waiting to happen. Uh, do you think that this underscores the need for the Orioles to take advantage of this window of contention that they have right now because it may be tough for them in the, in the next couple of years? Certainly, if the Yankees are not there, life is simpler in the ALEs. That's that's undeniable. But I don't think it's a given that just because they've traded for prospects and they might have some money that they're going to be great again. No, that's not the point. Those prospects have to pan out. How often do they not? And you know, I, I think it's silly to be to think it's a given. And the the stewardship since the big boss left New York is has been one more concerned. I think with dollars and cents than just being great. And so there's no guarantee they're just going to go spend a ton of money either to just unload and do whatever is, would truly be great for the, for that team. So I, I, you know, yes, it's, it's when they're not there, life is a lot easier, but I wouldn't just assume that the Yankees are going to be back to being bullies of the AL East in in three years because they've gotten some prospects and freeing up some money. I, I don't think so at all. You know, having having watched the Yankees trounce the Orioles for, you know, the 15 years that the Orioles were down, it, it does warm my heart in the worst of places seeing Yankees and, and Yankees fans uh, suffer through a lost season. One, one, of my, one of my best friends, one of my, my pledge father from, uh, from college is a diehard Yankee partial season ticket holder. And but we so we've enjoyed going back and forth, particularly the last five years. And he said it was a just the surreality of being sellers at the, at the trade deadline. He said, but it was fun because you know what? He, he hasn't felt good about this team in three years. And for them to, for the excitement of that, uh, he said was really was a lot of fun to see what was going to happen. I said, yeah, see how you feel come October. Yeah. Although we can certainly, uh, we can certainly understand, uh, you know, finally watching a team that's not competing do something uh, right for a change. I, I think we all can we can all come to terms with that. Yeah, they they uh, without doubt they they've gotten the most of it, apparently for the assets that they've had and got rid of guys that uh, of value for for contenders. And fortunately, you know they they didn't stay in in division. So you know the the Orioles had nine more games with the Yankees, and the Yankees are now a quad A team. So that's I mean, what a what a what a benefit going down the stretch and six of them are at Yankee Stadium and you look at that back in April and you think yeesh now you're like okay even the Orioles aren't a great road team sixteen six games in a place where of late they've played pretty well and now it's against a quad A team that's fantastic all right so the Orioles do have a task ahead of them for the rest of the season and they've been a streaky team. Uh, ups and downs, long win streaks followed by long lose, uh, losing streaks and vice versa. But despite all of the team's warts, the Orioles are still in first place here in August. I'm going to put you on the spot again. This time it's not about beer. Do you think that the Orioles have enough left in the tank to make it to October? I, I go back, almost daily go back and forth and you know argue with myself about why I think they will or why I think they won't. And up until Dylan Bundy 
showed that he, all the reasons there was such the hype about him, I said, no, I didn't think this was a playoff team. I really didn't think they had enough pitching. And given the, the streakiness involved with that offense, despite great defense and a great bullpen, I didn't think it would be enough that Toronto and Boston would be there and they would end up, you know, a game or two out of a wild card. But now with Dylan stepping up in the manner in which he has, and he is so, not only the stuff, but the composure that he has offered as, as a guy that, that taken the mound that looks like he so belongs as a starter and to be an ace and to be everything that they thought he could be. Uh, I, I bought into him. And I think what that may mean for this group going forward is enough to get them to the postseason. I'm glad you brought up Bundy because he was one of my questions. It's it's as if you're reading my mind. Stop it. You're scaring me. Um, <laughs> but Bundy is, has been interesting because in his first start, he was in love with the fastball and it hurt him in a big way. And now we are seeing a lot of quality pitches from Bundy and a lot more confidence. And the fastball still works for him, yes, but so too do the off, off-speed pitches. Do you think that, that there's a logical innings limit on Bundy? And do you think that that affects all of our collective enthusiasm about him and the team going into October? You know, it's fine. I mean, they said 70 initially and he's, what, at 65, but clearly that's not going to be the case. They've changed their mind on him because he has gotten stronger and he's only gotten stronger and better the more he's pitched. And I think the biggest reason that they feel good about that, where does his power come from? You look at him. It's not from the shoulder and the arm. It's from his legs and his legs are rock solid. And they've gotten they as they have continued to be just build up throughout to allow him to do the innings. They feel, I think they feel a lot better about him going longer in the season because that's where so much of his power and his dominance is coming from. And you, know, you go back to that first outing in which he gave up three home runs as a starter. What, what struck me was because now he is commanding three pitches, he can miss with the fastball in the zone, but because they aren't sitting on it, he can get away with it. The first strikeout of the game the other day, you know, was a fastball at 95, but it was in dead heart, dead center of the plate. It didn't matter because the hitter, wasn't sitting fastball. And so with Dylan that you can get away with more because you can command three. And that's what makes him so just so such an attractive starter. Yeah. And the other thing is when you push Gallardo and Miley into the position of being the fourth and fifth starter for a team like this, uh, it only means good things for an offense, which sometimes has power outages and sometimes has games like uh, Sunday where they score 10 runs in three innings. Yeah, and I'll hold off on, you know, again, Miley will hold off on to, and Gallardo, even his four and fives, they leave you concerned. But you feel good when Tillman, Gosman, and Bundy take the mound, you really feel that the offense doesn't have to do a whole lot. You don't, you know, when Gallardo and Miley going down, I'm thinking, yeah, you're probably going to have to score six runs, which is okay. Again, for the, especially I think the way Manny's gotten back on track and J.J. Hardy is healthy and swinging again, that they can, you know, you don't have, again, not every guy has to be raking. Uh, but they have enough enough guys that you know only you only need three or, three or four at a time to be really good offensively, and that's what I think that they've got right now. We we talked about Dylan Bundy, and Dylan Bundy makes me think of arm injuries. So let's talk about Steve Pierce and his flexor mass. Uh, how big of a <laughs> how big of a blow do you think that is to this team? It's disappointing for sure. I mean, you you, you really did because Stevie and the history that he has with his team. And the, the, the first half of the season he had was just phenomenal. And he was exactly what they needed, you know, against left-handed pitching and to be able to, to offset 
uh, you know, Kim, it was just, it was, it was a perfect marriage and yeah, I hope he comes back soon. I mean, that's the thing. Um, again, I think that enough guys have come around now, Machado, Hardy. I'm not saying Davis is out of a slump yet. You know, he had a nice day, you know, in which he, you know, he had a home run and got on base four times, but between, you know, with way Kim still hitting the ball with Adam being Adam, uh, I, I think that they can withstand with that. But if, if Pierce is back and, and really able to platoon with, with Hansu and, and be the guy that he was in the first half with the race, it's a significant addition. So that not having, it would be really nice and give them a little luxury. They can get him back soon. Now, is this an injury that took place afterward or was this a, a, a known health injury? It was, it was during the game. Um, and so exactly, I don't know exactly how it happened, but it was during the game and he was taken out during the game and, uh, you know, what, what, it's a muscle thing. So who knows? I mean, how, how well do your muscles respond? Like I popped my calf muscle a couple weeks ago and I was terrified. I wasn't going to be able to do anything for a month, but it turned out that I was in two weeks. I was back in the elliptical machine and my wife, wife is laughing at me now for that, but it's true. Sounds like you're using the wrong elliptical machine or using it wrong. One of the, <laughs> one of the two. That's entirely possible as well. <laughs> All right. We're, uh, we're headed off to the West Coast. Uh, the Orioles start a, a trip in Oakland this week. And that, that leads me to the question. Uh, late night baseball, do you love it or do you hate it? Uh, if I, now that the kids are older and they're not, and it's not, you're not up all night with them or doing different things. Yeah, I don't mind it. Um, uh, although training camp, I do have to get out there in the mornings. So, you know, I may, I may not be a nine inning guy, more of a six inning on the West coast and then, and then follow up through uh, the next day. But, you know, if they, so I guess probably if they're going to do 18, like they did in Seattle in 2012, unless it comes from me on my Saturday, probably not going to happen. <laughs> but if you only go six innings, it's okay. If you got a great bullpen, I just want you to know. Exactly. If they had the lead after six, I feel good going to bed. <laughs> uh, last week, I, I posted on Twitter asking for uh, fans' favorite games since 2012. Actually, that 18-inning game in 2012 is a great example. That's actually one of my uh, favorites. I, I stayed up for the whole thing because I'm an idiot. Um, so did and, I. Yeah. And it, it burned me, though, because that next year in 2013, they played an 18-inning game in Tampa uh, when they got the win taken out of them. And I, I the whole time, I was just thinking to myself, of course they're going to come back and win. This is what they do yep. in late in games when I stay up and, and it devastated me. Um, but you know, we, we have all these amazing games to, to choose from. Uh, you know, I, I only listed four cause that's all Twitter would give me. But if you look at it and take a step back, what do you think back? What, what do you think we'll look back at this period of Orioles baseball and remember, you know, years from now, is it, you know, is it the identity around buck? Is it the, the personalities of the, the star power on the team? Uh, what exactly about the the Orioles baseball we're experiencing right now do you think we'll we'll look back and fondly remember? Buck Showalter. I mean, I just think it, it, none of this happens, none of this comes together without him. It just it's it's unequivocal in my mind. Um, I love what Will Leach wrote for Sports on Earth in his column today, talking about the Orioles, how people are sleeping on them and ignoring them, and how they're stupid for doing so. Uh, and again, in his praise for Buck and the highest of praise, he's a giant Cardinals fan and is saying how he wished Buck was his manager. And I think that the way he has put together and managed the egos and really got everybody still to buy in on this is the right way to play baseball and to do it, you know, really for, and it, 
if we look for, out for one another, I mean, all the essences of team sport, he has gotten his team to buy into. And it's just, it's really hard to do, particularly in baseball where the money is so preposterous and, and it's all guaranteed. So for him to be able, you know, now, you know, you know, since the middle of 2010, to go ahead and figure out how to do that is, is just astounding. And that, for me, that's what I'll think of. I mean, the, the moments on the field, of course, aren't buck, but none of them happen without him. Sure. And, uh, you know, he's now the second winningest manager in, in Orioles history. Um, and, and certainly, you know, probably the, the manager I'll remo- remember most as I look back. I wonder about this, about Buck. Do you think that after stops in New York, where he spent his entire minor league career and minor league coaching career, um, as well as getting the Diamondbacks off the ground and, and you know, uh, bringing back winning ways in Texas, do you think that he'll be looked back upon as the Orioles manager during the good years, first and foremost, and then an, an remaining impressive body of work? Or do you think that that still yet has to be cemented? No, well, I mean... He- if he gets to a World Series with the Orioles, then I think he will be renowned for the for unequivocally as Orioles manager first. Um, I, th- I still think that you know they, because of the notoriety of New York of being on Seinfeld as wearing as a Yankee, those kinds of things. You know, you, he, that is still uh, you know I think for a lot of baseball people, they think of Buck Showalter as a Yankee first. But he has been with the Orioles longer uh, as a manager than he's been anywhere else. And the level of success to turn around a franchise like he did uh, is in this division against those. It's just it's a, it's remarkable. And if he is able to get to a World Series, then yeah, then then he will be a Baltimore Oriole first and foremost. Well, I think with World Series talk ringing in our ears, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, Pete, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. You got it, Jake. Take care, bud. Enjoyed it. Please listen carefully. Folks, you may have noticed that, um, well, we're a little late here at Bird's Eye View. Uh, we normally don't put out episodes uh, this late in the week, but unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I let you all down. Yes, I was traveling uh, on vacation, uh, and we'll get a little run into that a little bit, but um, I've been kind of vacant and not really following baseball of, of where I've been. So I, I don't know what to say besides I'm sorry. I can't give you stats and everything. Um, I've let you down. You know, I really need to learn a little bit about Orioles baseball and what happened this past week. So, Jake, can you sum it up for me? What did I miss in the past week of Orioles baseball? All right, let me just see if I can hit the top headlines. You ready for this? Sure. All right, first and foremost, uh, Michael Phelps is a terrible American for laughing during the national anthem. What? Why did he laugh during the national anthem? Oh, because, you see, he's from Baltimore. Some of his friends yelled, oh, at the appropriate place in the uh, anthem. And as you know, we are all trash for doing that, and Michael Phelps should know better. Wow. This makes me feel really bad for yelling oh it during the Ed Block Courage War too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I did have a lot of death stares when I did that, which my wife was not <laughs> appreciative of. She was not happy about it. Yeah. All right, next big story. Um Manny Machado went out of his freaking mind in that game. 
hitting a bunch of dongs and I, I did hear about this. And he kind of looks like first first half Manny. And first half Manny is somebody we desperately need to see. Gotcha. And then he went up and did more home runs when he played against the Athletics, right? Yes. Okay. Um, next, just again, some some stories that are out there and about. Um, Chris Davis, not, not coming back to first David, first first start. Chris Davis last night he uh, he left the bat on his shoulder. End of the game on a strikeout. Um, that's looking like an interesting contract, yeah. don't you think? Definitely interesting contract. I got a few questions for you because I, I I followed it briefly on Twitter, but you got to take Twitter and Facebook with a, a grain of salt. No, you have to take it with a mountain of salt. Oh, right, a mountain of salt. So the one thing that I do not feel qualified to answer not watching any of the games is Wade Miley. I haven't seen the game they pitched on Thursday, and I didn't see the game he pitched this weekend. Jake, what impression did Wade Miley leave on you after two starts? After two starts, I'm getting a whole lot of meh. But even though neither start has wowed you or been impressive, I don't think I don't think he's a bad pitcher. I think he's the type of guy that at the mid to the back end of the rotation, a quality team can have. Right. So it comes back to we traded for a fourth or fifth starter. In aspect, he's a fourth or fifth starter. Do you think he's better than a Vance Worley, a Mike Wright, or Tyler Wilson trifecta? I do. Okay. I do. And here's the thing. I don't think that he'll ever have the highs that those guys are capable of. Because you remember those games where Mike Wright just pitched out of his mind and it was, you know, it was all uh, velocity and he gets through six or seven innings and you're like, wow. Or there's that game that Tyler Wilson pitched against the the uh, Red Sox where he went eight innings and he was masterful. You know, those guys have flashes. Vance Worley actually pitches pretty competently for short bursts of time. You're never going to have a, a just ace outing from Wade Miley. But you're not going to have the valleys either right the other question i would have for you jake is and i've seen a few more games now with dylan bundy but i haven't seen a a lot based off of being away this week it certainly seems like dylan bundy has uh, i'm going to go away from my analytics i didn't go to my jake english cut side it certainly feels like dylan bundy has that it factor and knows how to pitch to a sequence Whereas Kevin Gossman doesn't really have a flair for understanding when he should be throwing certain pitches. Do you think that is on him or do you think that is more on the catching staff and the pitch selection that is being called for them? Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to compare Gosman and Bundy. I never said this podcast was fair. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fair. I'm taking my microphone and going home. Um, No, Bundy has been very impressive. And the thing is that after that first start where I said, basically, look, you've got to fall out of love with that fastball. That's exactly what I've seen. I've seen a guy that's confident in his off-speed pitches, and you know maybe he's been confident in them because they've been effective, but the off-speed pitches have been the difference maker for him because his fastball is not always electric. I mean, sometimes it is, don't get me wrong, but it's not consistently, you know, 95-plus. He is throwing it occasionally, you know, with, with pretty good frequency in, in the low to mid-90s. But he's doing that effectively because he's throwing the curveball. Particularly, I've been impressed with the curveball. Okay. So the curveball has been impressed with you. Is there anything else that, I mean, the one thing that I think people kept mentioning is Dylan Bundy has that prevalence of getting the strikeout where Kevin Gossman doesn't seem to have that out pitch. And I would technically disagree with the stat standpoint because he does have that split finger. But it feels like if that split finger is not on that game, Kevin Gossman's going to have a terrible game. 
Well, and it could be sample size too, right? I mean, I, I didn't say it, folks. Jake English said it. I did not use the word sample size. It could be sample size because it feels. Here, I'll go back to my gut. It feels like when bad things happen to Kevin Gosman, it's always happening in zero and two, right? Yeah, it's always happening in zero and two with two outs. But doesn't where, that come back to that it factor? Like you don't throw a pitch in that zone if it's at zero and two or one and two. You're you either bury it in the ground or you make it look like it's going to be a good pitch when it's not. I mean, there has to be something about that it factor i will say that for the last three or four starts dylan bundy has been pitching more effectively than kevin gosman but i i can't go any further than to say that nor I say that i believe it's not- jake you just said that kevin gosman's a bust <laughs> and that dylan bundy is a future cy young winner why don't you leave town again okay i can do that all right the the other question i had was everyone seems to be railing on chris davis but I don't understand why certain other players are not getting more gripe. So Mark Trumbo is one that I, I don't understand why he's not getting taken to the woodshed and being beat on. We have the solution. We know the reason. Why is that? He was in the All-Star, All-Star Home Run Derby. Uh, okay. There's the reason, Scott. But the other player that, too, that I'm kind of surprised that has not been taken to the woodshed is Jonathan Scope, um, who's actually posting a uh, much worse Winter Runs Created Plus than even Chris Davis is. Um, why aren't fans up in arms about Jonathan Scope as of lately? All right, I've got the answer for you. Okay. You're not whipping them up into a frenzy, and you're not doing this because the longer he struggles, the less likely it is that you're going to have to pay up your bet to Jeffy uh, Burns. Burns of Baltimore Sports Today about uh, Jonathan Scope and his home run totals, and you don't want to have to pony up for the Titos. Mm, that is a possibility. So, Jake, what I've noticed is uh, just looking at the box scores, the Orioles pitching looks like it's been doing great as of lately, um, at least keeping them in the game and not really you know, destroying it. It also looks like they've been getting fairly deep in the game, six-plus innings in certain instances. Um, but it just certainly looks like it's the trend of the All-Star break, which is the Orioles offense is doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, and and I think that Sunday's game, or Sunday's game, last night's game is, is a really good example. You know, it was another low-scoring affair followed by another really low-scoring affair. And the thing is, is that it's it's frustrating from a certain standpoint to lose games 3-2, to 2-1. Two, two to one. But I do take solace in the fact that that means that the Orioles pitching staff is keeping those games at low scores. And it's, I guess I have an easier time swallowing a 3-2 to two loss than I do a 7-1 to one loss. Okay. So, Jake, tell me, what is wrong with the offense right now? Uh... St- Duff. Okay. I think that's probably the best answer we have right now. I heard Buck talking about weak contact today on MLB Network, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, him indicating that it's not just a simple situation of Babbitt, but uh, just really poor weak contact. So I'm sure the entire team is working on it, but uh, it doesn't make sense for the team to all of a sudden become the worst offensive team in Major League Baseball overnight. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, early in the season we were lauding them about the secondary hitters, you know, the, the secondary stars, so to speak, on this team coming through in, in spades, and they're not right now. And I think that's what you're seeing. It, Buck always uses the phrase, pass the baton. They're not doing that right R- now. Right. And so you're seeing a lot of instances in which they get on base and then the inning dies uh, because the guys that aren't, you know, the stars – aren't contributing and that's not usually a big deal when the stars are hot but when the stars are cold well then the fact that you're not getting enough contributions from the secondary uh, you know secondary folks that's the problem so this it has to be the waning precipice of the 2016 Orioles because 
the waning occurred for the 2015 Orioles during a similar streak. So this obviously is the Orioles swan song going into September where they basically lose the division lead and basically fall out of wildcard contention, correct? Uh, I think things would have to get pretty dire for me to feel bad about it. I mean, the Orioles have not been playing their most impressive ball, and that you know that's that's putting it politely. But they're doing that in first place. You know, right now they're they're in a position where they're half a game, uh, or no, they're they're tied right now with the the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are about to win their game. The Orioles are on a late late tonight on Wednesday. You know, a couple weeks ago or a week or so ago, they they fell into second place by a game or half a game, came right back and put some distance between them and the Blue Jays, and then lost it again. I think that the Orioles are going to be in a slug match right up until the end for the AL East uh, division title with the Blue Jays. I think the Red Sox will make some noise and eventually fall out. Uh, wow. Okay. But I think it's I think it's they're in a good spot until they have that you know awful two week period where nothing goes right for them. If they have another you know two six game losing streaks in a row like they did in 2015, well then yeah they're out of it. But if they continue to play like they are right now. You know, they still have the time in the season left to uh, to recover from that. All right. So what I'm hearing is it has been a roller coaster of Orioles proportion, very similar to the rest of the 2016 se- season. And I caught the downward trend for the Baltimore Orioles. And by coming back to the East Coast, I should be on an upward swing and the Orioles will go off and uh, basically rally and have like a five or six win win streak. Is that what I'm hearing? You're not allowed to leave state lines again. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, with that, um, let's go ahead and see, well, who predicted things correctly in Fantasy Boss this past week. Ooh. Yeah. A little jazz. When it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, baby, you sure do swing. And when it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, daddy, you're the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside and out, and across. So funny story, that song is sung by B.B. King uh, for the male part. I actually got to hold B.B. King's guitar uh, this week on uh, from my, my vacation for about five minutes. But uh, I was, it was probably taken away from me once I realized I was holding B.B. King's guitar. But for a few minutes there, I felt as, like rock, rock royalty. As you were escorted out by security. Uh, it wasn't so much escorted by security as the nice southern gentleman came up to me and said, Sir, we really prefer you not to touch B.B. King's guitar. <laughs> Oh, really? They do prefer it that <laughs> they, way. Huh? They would prefer me not to do that. I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was B.B. King's guitar. Don't you understand? I'm the boss. Yeah. And it's like, sir, it's clearly signed B.B. King. Oh, is it now? <laughs> Are you asking for my signature? I can sign right next to it. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought that was an interesting side topic yeah scott you are the boss this week you you were you did not just win fantasy boss you smoked fantasy boss uh to be fair i did mention that if i lost fantasy boss this week i was basically calling it quits forever uh you you did it on the bat of manny machado who out homered steve pierce this week and when i say that he out homered steve pierce he did it in style i mean he did it just by that game where he hit the three home runs in the first three innings he uh he looked really good this week and steve pierce much to my chagrin, did not. So 
Scott, whatever these powers are that you have, I need you to rub your magic on each and every one of the Orioles' 25-man roster so that they can power their way through to October and into and through the World Series. My hands are greased. I'm ready to go. Ugh. All right, so the score for Fantasy Boss is now tightened up to 7-6. and six. My lead, but uh, certainly anybody's game and before we get to uh before we get to this week's category i just want to remind you there are a series of wild cards out there so uh those wild cards can put fantasy boss in the pocket of whoever scores big so i had a few questions about the the wild cards all right i'm listening so there's been a few people that actually have hit on our wild card categories but not the people that we have chosen so someone has hit over 450 plus home run Mm -hmm. someone's had eight k's are we just going to keep rolling the category over until one of our players hits that's that's what I had planned, but I'm going to say at any point and any week you want to replace one of the wild cards. I'm I'm all for it. Okay, I, I, that's what I was curious about. Is like if we, it, for example, like one of the people that you pick was Tyler Wilson, and you know maybe we should come back and you know re-evaluate. reevaluate. So we'll let it go this week because it's a partial week because well some of us was never good. Drink. Yeah, but Holding how about guitar. next Monday we come back and we take a look at it and say. Do we want to reevaluate some of our wild cards? We need a thorough review. Like, does Matt Weider's really going to hit a triple? I yes. mean, really? Yes. Okay. He's, he's my pick. All right. All to right. this day. All right. Well, Jake, it's your category this week to pick. All right. My pick this week is going to be a very simplistic one on base percentage. Okay. Uh, Jake, you're going to be surprised by this. All right. I'm going Chris Davis. Okay. Well, I'm going to really enjoy taking a two-point lead. I'm going to go with uh, Hunsu Kim. I like Hunsu Kim, but Chris Davis is going to turn it around this week. Guarantee. I'm feeling it. All right. Well, you got to happen eventually. You felt it last week and you weren't wrong. So I, I would prefer you to be right, but I still want to beat you. That's fine. But I think I think it's going to turn around for me this week. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But so Hunsu Kim versus Chris Davis, the uh, Pride of Korea versus the Slugger of Texas, whatever. The Bible Belter. The Bible the Belter. Baltimore, yes, exactly. Say. All right. You were just in that area. I, I know. Well, what can I say? Um, all right. Well, we'll see who will own it. Um, let's go ahead and get over to the numbers and figure out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly this week. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and, oh, yeah, the ugly. Uh, I'm going to actually start this week. Uh, I'm going to go with my good. Um, It's going to go to Dylan Bundy, who has, I think, to a certain regard, reinvigorated the starting pitching rotation. Dylan Bundy, um, over the past 14 days, has put up a 11.57K per nine as a starter, which is... um, Wow, that's that's really impressive. That's not safe for work, is yeah, what that it, is. It's also he has to put up a one point four five walks per nine. Uh, he's destroying uh, the competition in terms of um, getting strikeouts and not putting people on base. Yeah, he's had a minor bit of a home run problem, um, but overall he's combating that home run with strikeouts, which uh, is exactly what you want to see. Surprisingly, too, in the past fourteen days, a fifty five point three percent ground ball rate. Dylan Bundy does not strike me as a ground ball pitcher. But he's certainly operating in that fashion as of recently. Just kind of interesting. But Dylan Bundy uh, is definitely the hot topic right now for the Baltimore Orioles. And it'll be interesting to see how long they can ride him um, potentially into the playoffs. 
All right, my good is El Toro. El Toro, Pedro Alvarez, a guy I've hated on awfully hard this season. But we're seeing right now exactly why the Orioles picked him up. In this past week, he's had 192 weighted runs created plus with a 458 Woba. And he's, uh, if you want to look at the back of the baseball card stats, he's hitting 300 with three home runs and four RBI just this week alone. He's really been good. And for a period there, I think it was in nine at-bats, he had five home runs or something crazy like that. So he's on a hot streak. And we, you and I have a mutual friend who, who grew up rooting for the Pittsburgh Pirates um, and was familiar with El Toro before he came to Baltimore. and said, yeah, you're going to love him and you're going to hate him because he's so streaky. And uh, this is the time where we love him. So get him at-bats right now while he's hot and ride it as long as you can. All right, my bad is going to go to Steve Pierce, who, again, is injured this week. Um, the ultimate buzzkill for any Orioles fan who was super excited to see Steve Pierce come back and play for the Baltimoreos and then immediately lose him in the process. Um, it's kind of the ultimate tease and then taken away. Uh, I wouldn't say it's devastating to the Orioles right now, but it just is a somewhat of a kick in the teeth coming right off the trade deadline and saying, all right, this team just got a, a little bit better with Steve Pierce, and then all of a sudden that toy is taken away from you. So Steve Pierce being out and kind of being questionable probably for at least another week. Um, I think they said they were going to hold off on him even picking up another bat for a few more days. Um, again, the less and less time that you get with Steve Pierce, the more and more that trade has to be questioned with Jonah Heim going to the Tampa Bay where he's on a two-month rental, basically. But we know that this happens with him. I mean, it seems like every year he's out for a couple weeks because his wrists have something going on. Right, but he was already out earlier this year for the Tampa Bay Rays, so you would have hoped that everything would have come back and healed, and it certainly doesn't feel like he's in in peak condition. So it's almost like he's like a 32, 33-year-old outfielder. Second baseman. Okay. If he was a second baseman, he'd be playing right now. (laughs) My bad for this week is Orioles catching. You know, if you look at Matt Wieters, he had a rough week. He was four for 23. He had a negative 18 weighted runs created plus. Negative 18. He had a 158 Woba. But here's the thing. Matt Wieters had all those in 23 at-bats because Caleb Joseph has been so bad that Buck Showalter has been giving Wieters a majority, a vast majority of the starts. Now, Caleb Joseph did go one one for three in his game, but he's clearly had a down season. The Orioles catching has had its moment in the sun with offense, and it needs to get back there. It just needs to get back to league average. It would really be a, a boon to this team if uh, if the catching could get it together instead of being an automatic out. All right, going to ugly. Uh, my ugly this week, uh, it's not going to go to Chris Davis, but it's going to go to Mark Trumbo, who I mentioned earlier of why people were not giving him gripes. Over the past 14 days, he has not walked a single time. Zero walks. Zero. Zero. He's posting up a mightily impressive 149 on base percentage and a 178 Woba, which is good for a zero weighted runs created plus in the past 14 days. Ooh. So that's not even just small sample size that uh, you know, you know, Jim Hunter would like to use. This is 14 days that he's posting a zero weighted runs created plus. Even Chris Davis is posting a 40 weighted runs created plus. If Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo continue to flounder in this fashion, it explains the offensive uh, inequity completely. Mark Trumbo or Chris Davis need to get on a roll, one or the other, um, and it can balance out the lineup. But if both of them are struggling, this offense is going to be dead in the water until they figure it out. 
right, my ugly this week is going to go to anybody who took Adam Jones seriously when he tweeted about trying out for the NFL and had anything negative to say about him. Look, I love me some Adam Jones, and sometimes he says things that are off the cuff, and sometimes he said th- says things that rubs you the wrong way. But if you didn't pick up on the tongue-in-cheek part of that tweet, you are the problem with social media, and I would say society in general. So to you, sports fan, who takes yourself too seriously to be able to take Adam Jones not seriously enough, you are ugly. And with that, let's get back to our podcast. Oh, wait. Taking people too seriously. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and blow the save now. And uh, I think I think I'm going to take it this week, if you don't mind. Do it. All right. So, again, the reason that uh, the show's a little bit late this week is I was actually in Nashville this past weekend for my 10th anniversary. Um, had a really good time with the wife um, and kind of took a step back from baseball for a little bit. I really didn't listen to the games, didn't watch any, any of the games. And it was a really interesting experience being in Nashville because it's kind of a void for baseball. I I talked to a few people down there about who's their favorite team. And they kind of said, well, I guess the Braves, I got a one person that said, I I guess the Cubs and I got one sounds. Well, there was the national sounds and we drove by it. Um, and there just really wasn't a lot of interest in baseball, but of course I had a few interactions in terms of the baseball sphere because it's hard for me to get away from it. So a few things, um, I actually ran across a few people that were wearing Orioles hats. I had a few people that came up to me and said, yep, let's go O's. Um, I ran to a uh, table in Lynchburg, Nashville, um, right by the Jack Daniels distillery that said a let's go O's hun, um, which I thought was pretty cool. I saw several people in like condos um, that had Maryland flags draped in the condos. So a lot of Maryland pride down in Nashville. Um, Other stories, uh, I saw some players from the Nashville Sounds come into a bar on Broadway, which is their like Nash Vegas style strip. Um, and they absolutely got hammered on shots and whiskey. So that was really fun to see a bunch of Yankees affiliates show up and be the true trash that they are. <laughs> and uh, let's see what else happened. Um, oh, I met up with Matt Taylor, um, who uh, writes for the blog War from 34. I had a really good time with him. Many thanks to Matt for having uh, us uh, for dinner and uh, just kind of, uh, realizing that even though we're, I guess, almost a thousand miles apart, that uh, families are basically the same no matter where they're stationed. So, Matt, thanks so much for a great time. Really appreciate it. Um, well, the one thing that shocked me to us in regard was stepping back from baseball for an entire week. I came back today, popped in my car, and turned on MLB Network Radio, and I heard Buck Showalter giving an interview, and just listening to him um, talk reaffirmed me to a little bit of where this team is looking at the box scores and looking at the standings. I'm like, this team is slaughtering, but just listening to Buck for the first time in a week, I was like, yeah, I'm not worried anymore because Buck had that, that aspect of reassuring uh, someone just being like, everything's going to be okay. This is baseball stuff like this always happens. We're going to work through it. And I I think as an Orioles fan, when you get into the daily rut and the marathon, which is the 162 game season, it's hard to see through the fog but coming back in as an outsider, I think it's really important to realize how good of shape we are in, as Buckshaw Walter as our manager. So I think what I'm hearing you say is if you're starting to despair, Orioles fans. Go to Nashville. You just need to hold on. Yeah. Hold on for one more day. Yeah. Or go to Nashville for for an entire week. Um, I think that's all I had in terms of stories from Nashville. Really good time. Highly recommend Nashville, especially if you're a country music fan. I'm personally not a big country music fan, but... Uh, we had a good time just going in, exploring the sights and sounds. 
All right. Well, happy anniversary. It's good to have you back. And Scott, we, we need to settle in for the, the remainder of the season. It's going to be a rough ride, but I think we're going to be happy with the results at the end. Um, you're optimistic. I, I am optimistic. You know what optimism usually pays you back in, right? Yeah, heartbreak. But yeah. I choose not to acknowledge it this time. All right. So with that, Baltimore and beyond, I, I have nothing more for you. So I will just bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. It's great to be back. And let's go O's. Seriously, that was a lot of Wilson Phillips in that episode. Hey, don't you hate on Wilson Phillips? I'm not hating on Wilson Phillips. I'm just saying that's a lot of Wilson Phillips in one episode. They they are a one-hit wonder, and we are wondering when we're going to have a hit. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.